0: Welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Amen. Man, God is good. So what I was thinking about as we were praising, uh, there's a song that says, um, Breathing in His grace and breathing out His praise. And I love the simple fact that, man, every breath we get to take is by the grace of God. And so every, every exhale, everything we do, whether physically or whether we say it or or emotionally or whatever we do can be for the praise and the glory of God. Amen. And so, man, I want to tell you, it's such a blessing to be in a community of people that live by faith and love just to worship Jesus. Uh, Simply, that's what it's about. That's, that's what it's about, bringing glory to our Father. Amen. Amen. Um, And so we're going to dive into the word this morning. And I do want to welcome you again, if you're a first time uh, visitor. Just, just know this about us: we love Jesus, not ashamed of it, and uh, we love encounters with Jesus, and uh, He changes literally everything. And so, we've been covering John chapter 13 through 16 in a a series we've been calling "Red Letters," and uh, these are the these are the words straight from Jesus' mouth as He was talking to disciples just just mere hours before He would be arrested and He would go to the cross. And so, Aaron did a great job in, in John chapter 15, the beginning, talking about the vine and the branches. And, uh, and staying connected to the vine. We're the branches. He's, he's, the, he's the vine. He's the sustenance. He's what makes the branches grow. And so staying connected and totally dependent upon the vine. And so this morning, we're going to dive into kind of the end of John chapter 15. And so if you have your, uh, your scriptures with you, your word busted out, whether it's digital or printed format, we're also going to have it up on the screens. But I want to invite you. I grew up in the church And so we did this every Sunday. My dad was a pastor on the front row, and he would invite the folks to stand up, kind of in reverence to the Lord as we read scripture. And uh, so go ahead and stand up with me. I'm going to read this out loud. And here's the thing. You can read it laying down. You can read it on your lounge chair, whatever, walking around. Let's just do it in reverence to say, Lord, we love your word. Your word changes uh, hearts, human hearts. And so I'm going to read this, and then uh, we'll do a little prayer at the end. John chapter 15, verse 18, it says if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world and so it hates you. Jesus goes on to talk a little bit more about rejection, the world's rejection of him, and even persecution that we would feel as disciples. And then let's pick up in verse 26. He says this, but... now. This, this might, in our vocabulary, seem like, oh, that's, that's, a, that's a general word we use. This is an important preposition here because it's tying everything to the verses before. And this is good news, folks. Listen to this. But I will send you the advocate. In all the mess of the world's rejection and persecution, I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth, and he will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. We'll be reminded of the good news over and over and over and over and over by the Holy Spirit. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. And then uh, to, to verse one of chapter 16, I have told you these things so that you will not abandon your faith. That's important, folks. I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. For you will be expelled from the synagogues or the meeting places. And the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. This is because they have never known the Father or me Yes, I am telling you these things now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a while longer, but now I'm going away to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you, but in fact, but in fact, it is best for you that I do go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin, and of God's righteousness, and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Amen. You can go be seated. I want to pray as we begin, as we read God's word, that it would be planted on fertile hearts and fertile soil, and that God would reap a harvest. Uh, if today, then maybe tomorrow, or the next day, as as the Holy Spirit ministers to us through this word, so let's pray. God, we love you, man. We're so thankful that we we get to be in covenant connection with you, God. That we get to be in in just intimate relationship with you. And I don't hesitate to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I love you, Jesus. You're my bridegroom. I love you. We're the bride of Christ. I love you, Jesus. And so, God, um, deal with our hearts, deal with our minds, deal with whatever. Maybe, maybe there's a lie that's been implanted into us from long ago. Lord, I, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd expose that even this morning, and that would be replaced with the truth of your word, that, Holy Spirit, you'd guide us into all truth. You'd be the advocate, just as Jesus promised you would be. We love you, God. We give all the glory and all the honor to you. We all said, amen. Amen. So, when I was uh, 18, I was a pretty adventurous guy, okay? Now, I'm, I'm a few years older than that. I'm a little less adventurous. I have a few more, few more grays, and my kids remind me of that nearly every day. But uh, when I was 18, I, I was pretty adventurous. And so after graduation, I wanted to do something semi-extreme with my, with my new sense of, of independence and freedom. And so besides, I, this was around 1999. And and so I am just raising my hand that I was a guilty party in getting one my my tips frosted like the boy bands of the time. That's, that's one thing I did and it's regrettable, but two I also got my ears pierced um, against my dad's best wishes, and that's that's the story for another time. Um, in in my dad's grace towards me in that, and then and then three I decided uh, to go skydiving with some friends of mine. So in June of 1999, a month after I graduated. Me and two buddies and my, my cousin Joel and my dad. Yeah, my dad. That's awesome. I'm proud of my dad. He, uh, we, we decided to go skydiving. And so we went to Kingman, Kansas. They have an airstrip there. I don't know if they still do, but they did at the time. And so we decided we'd jump out of a plane at about 11,000 feet. Now, the thing is, with skydiving, you don't just get to walk up to the plane, say, hey, I'm here, give me a, back, uh, give me a backpack, and, and then, then let's go expect to jump. Right? Like you, you can't do that. You have to go through a round of meetings and, and of warnings and of, of different things. And so the very first meeting you go to is the meeting where they sit you down and say, the choice you're about to make may have consequences. Right? It's the warning meeting. It's the caution. You're about to jump out of an airplane. It's, like a, it's, a, it's a tin can up already in the sky and you're about to jump out of it. Just know that. And so the consent form that you sign basically can be summarized as such. Uh, we make no guarantees except one that you will make it back down to earth. What form or fashion? We can't guarantee, right? I mean, honestly, you're signing your life away. And so I remember I- exactly what that room looked like. It was an old wood-paneled room, like a 70s, that faux type of paneling, the fake kind. And, and I, we were sitting on a couch, and they were going over all these, all these cautions. It's kind of like a gut punch, because you're ready to get on a plane and jump. And, um, and I, remember, I remember after the instructor gets done, and he says, are there any questions and my dad's like, eh, I'm out. My dad says, I'm out. And, uh, and so I and after about 30 minutes, uh, to his credit, after some prodding and some peer pressure, he decided to jump. And so my dad did end up doing the jump with us. Uh, but that caution meeting really did uh, do some inner turmoil within his heart and soul. And so the thing is, like, skydiving is, has anybody been skydiving? Any other? Yeah, we got some, okay, a few takers out there. Anybody that says, I will never do skydiving. Okay, it's all right too. Skydiving really is a thrill. Like it's, it's an adventure that is really hard to describe in words. And so like I, I remember that, that plane door opening. And if you don't know, like 11,000 feet up, it's a lot cooler than, than down on, on planet Earth. And so it was, it was June, and so I think it was like 90-some degrees. I remember it was hot when we got there. And then being up there, that door opening, and all of a sudden you're hit with like 55-degree air or 50-degree air. And you're just like, <gasps> you're already scared. And so and then you're hit by cold air. And I remember that door opening, and, and the tandem instructor's kind of with you. And so he's like, crawl to the edge. You're like, what? I'm the first here. What? I mean, he's already strapped to the back. And so you're crawling, you know, to the edge of the plane door. And, and just, I mean, there's butterflies. And you kind of climb to the edge. And he says, put your feet out over the edge. And so you're holding on for dear life. You climb to the edge. And then he starts to count down. Three, two, one. And he kind of has to give you an extra little push. I mean, human nature is to keep grabbing on to what you know, which is steel (laughs) underneath you. And so he gives you a little extra push. And and in a split second, you go from clinging to your life to a piece of steel, which is already by grace that it's flying, to, to free falling. And it's just... Like, there's no words to full, like, my heart beats and races a little even describing it. Now, the reason I share that story was for a couple of reasons. I was reading in the book of Psalm uh, recently, uh, it was a couple weeks ago, and I came across Psalm 92.4, and there was a word that kind of captured me, and it, it catapulted me back to that time of skydiving, and, and we have it up here. It says, Psalm 92.4, it says, you thrill me, thrill, you thrill me, Lord, with all you have done for me. I sing for joy because of what you have done. You thrill me, God. I mean, you just, you just get a little bit excited about that, right? These are the kind of verses that, that God reminds us of the adventure and the thrill of living life in Christ and living by the Holy Spirit. And there's many other verses like it. John 10, 10, Jesus says, I have come and I have come to give life to the full. Jeremiah 29, 11, what Aaron read earlier, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you not to harm you, to give you hope in a future. Or there's Philippians 4.13, anybody know that one? Uh, Stephen Curry, I think he has it on his shoes or whatever. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Right? And these are all verses, that, yeah, they're out of God's word and they're just encouraging and inspire us. The thrill ride and the adventure of living our life in Christ. But the second thing that I remembered from my time in skydiving is that with all those verses that talk about the thrill of our adventure with Christ, there seems to be just as many verses that talk about the cautions and the warnings, the consequences that may come from following Christ. John 16, for instance. This would be a few verses later from what we read um, earlier in John chapter 16. Jesus, again, he's talking to his disciples, not, not long before he would be taken away. And he says this, I have told you these things... So that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Say, I will have trouble. I will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So there's two promises here. It's a promise of peace and overcoming, and there's also the promise of trouble. As other translations say, in this world, you will have trial and sorrow. Sign me up, Jesus, right? What about Matthew chapter 10, verses 22? 22. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Two promises, you will be saved, and yet you will be hated. Or from what we read earlier in John chapter 15, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. Now I was thinking about these, the 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 two kind of the juxtaposition of these these two kind of verses, the ones that encourage us and inspire us for the thrill ride and the adventure, and then the ones that are the sober warnings. Here's the thing God gives us these in his word, not not so that out of a fear-based type of warning, but out of it's true. And I love the promises that he gives. You will have peace, but you will have trouble. Take heart, I've overcome the world. And as I was thinking about the opposites, now they all are congruent with God's word, but the opposites of these, like Hobby Lobby sells a boatload out of John 10, 10, You know what I'm saying? Like seriously, you probably got one hanging up in your house, but we normally wouldn't find it Hobby Lobby. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first, all right? You're not going to put that as a bumper sticker on your car, but it's in God's word for a reason. And there's a, there's a point in this scripture where Jesus is sharing John 16, 1, that I really want to highlight. And he says this, and I really want our ears to be open and our hearts to be open even more. Because he says this, I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. Again, context is important. Jesus is speaking to his disciples just mere hours, right here, before he would be taken away, before he would be arrested, he would be falsely accused, he would be murdered on a cross. So it's mere hours before Peter would be be approached by different people and saying, do you know this Jesus guy? And he'd be like, oh, mm, don't think so, don't think so. Mere hours before all of Jesus' disciples, whom he spent three years with, would scatter except one, John. It's important that Jesus says, I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. This moment with his disciples is kind of like my skydiving warning meeting. This choice, your choice, your choice to follow Christ or not to follow Christ has consequences. There are implications for saying yes to Jesus or saying no to Jesus. In fact, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is again he says, if anyone would be my disciple, he must deny himself, he must take up his cross and follow me. Now, 21st century Americans and the cross, we put them as symbols up on our, up on our church buildings, and that's great. We put them as symbols usually in the, in the background, and that's great. But to a first century Jew, the cross was crazy because the Romans oppressed them. And how did the Romans oppress them? In many different ways, but the cross was one of them. They did it by fear. And so they would probably walk in different places and in public places, and they would see somebody hanging on a cross. And it wasn't a pretty scene, it wasn't an empty cross, it was somebody gutted out on a cross. And so when Jesus said you must deny yourself and take up your cross, that wasn't just some like, oh, I'll carry around a little cross or put it all around my neck, like as as a symbol. No, he's saying, you died to yourself. There is a death to this thing in following me. And so those first century Jews, those disciples would have been like, (coughs) punch in the gut. Like, what? It has implications of following Jesus. And Jesus pulls no punches. In John chapter 15, again, I want to read it one more time. He says this in 18 through 19. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own, if you belong to it. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, and, and so it hate you. And Paul, he cuts to the chase in 2 Timothy 3, chapter 12, and he says this, and this, this will slap you across the face with a little truth, a little truth bomb this morning. He says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone. Say everyone. everyone. That includes you if you are a follower of Christ. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, why? Well, because here's the thing. If you belong to the world, to its patterns, to its pursuits, to its customs, to its language, to its whatever, you fill in the blank, that runs counter to godliness, the value of the kingdom, godliness. The pursuits of the world are selfishness. Get whatever you can at whatever cost. It's all about you. The kingdom says, no, it's about him. Love him and love others. It will run counter, there will be a rub with culture. It's, it's a natural response from the world to the kingdom of God advancing. Amen? And, and so Jesus, again, he says, I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. I'm giving you warning and caution. And, and I, I want to be honest, and I want to talk about persecution just for a moment. And then kind of talk about our response to persecution. Here's the thing. Most of us in this room as Christians living in America, we have probably never experienced life or death persecution. Um, I'm just going to go out on a limb there. Now, there are places in, in the world that do, Christians do experience life or death. You convert to such and such, or we will kill you. Or you don't get a choice, you, we will kill you, right? Right? And so I do not take that away. But in America, we, we, we don't have to like, hide in our homes in fear. We don't have to like, live in, uh, or meet in underground places and secret church places and do things by code to get there. Like, we really need to be thankful and grateful people that in America, where we live currently, we get the freedom to worship. So let's, let's be thankful to Jesus for that and pray for those who don't get that. Amen? Amen. But, but there are forms of persecution that we do experience here in America. And, and here's just some of them. Christians can be misunderstood. We can be mischaracterized in, in various public places and universities and in, in schools and in, in news, social media, other, other media uh, sites or uh, ways of media. We can be ridiculed for our beliefs. We can be laughed at as punchlines at award ceremonies or, or late night talk shows. Uh, we can be pushed out of conversations because, because others scoff at the idea that we would believe wholeheartedly in the Word of God. Family members can treat us differently. Co-workers can ridicule us. Again, sometimes it's, it's really overtly, and sometimes it's more of a, a sub, subvertly kind of way. But we can be ridiculed for our need for God and so on. And so it's real. There, there, there are different ways in which we as Christians are persecuted, misunderstood, mischaracterized, and so on. Now, I think it's important to start off by saying that to some degree, a bit of the misunderstanding and mischaracteri- mischaracterization of Christians in society falls on us. Now hear me on this. I think as the church, we need to walk in humility, and we need to know when we've missed the mark. And so in humility, we can declare as the church, we have not always been the greatest representation of Christ's likeness to the world. Any hands raised that want to admit that? Personally, I am, yes. If Paul says he can be the chief sinners, um, the chief of sinners... And I think that we in here can also repent. And so we need to repent of that as the body of Christ. Like, I think the world would follow, like, I really think the world would at least be mesmerized by the fact that Christians, if we could be the first to repent on our knees instead of the first to point, they might consider that there is some value to what they're saying and doing. I think the world might consider following suit, but the church needs to be in a place of repentance. Now, I'm going to step on some toes here this morning. I was at a conference a couple weeks ago, and uh, there was a Southern pastor, and he said, I'm going to overcook your grits just a little right now. And so, I'm going to overcook some grits in here this morning. And here's the thing. I'm going to give you an example. In recent months and years and and even recent weeks, some of us have, have tied our allegiance to Christ with a political system or a political movement. I'm not going to get political on you this morning and tell you how to vote, tell you what to do, but we've tried to mix the systems of the world with the rule and the reign of the kingdom of God. And here's the thing, I have have no problem with Christians who feel called into political spheres of influence. I think it's a holy endeavor. I think we we do need to pray for those um, in, in those places of political responsibility, but we need to repent. And be honest, that at times in this like politically toxic, and you don't have to go far to see how toxic it is, this politically toxic, intense moment, and it's about to get worse for the next three weeks up until the election. That's why Christians need to be a place of prayer and repentance rather than a place of pointing. Okay, receive this, receive this. But I'm, I'm just saying like, in this politically tense and toxic time, we at times have added to that tension. I'm not beating us over the head. I'm just saying as a church, we need to, to confess it and repent. And so please hear me on this. I'm not suggesting that Christians should shy away from debate or conversation, but truth that is not spoken in love will only add to more chaos and only sow more division. And so some will say, and I've said this, I have been guilty so many times of saying this, and I've heard many Christian friends say this and many Christian pastors and, and just Christians in general, well, truth is truth. Truth is truth, Ryan. Any, any guilty party out there ever saying that? Yeah, maybe me, okay. Truth is truth, Ryan. And, I, and to that I say, yes, truth is truth. But, but I also say this. Truth is truth, but if our motives to share that truth are not born out of love for our neighbors, then the better option for us would be to shut our mouths, let God deal with our hearts, and simply serve others until our motives are purified. Amen. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Okay, I got to get off my soapbox there. That's an example. And so if that hits home, we can repent and we can move forward. Amen? But Jesus reminds us again, I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. And I think that he means doctrinally, you know, like a statement of faith, like I'm not going to abandon X, Y, and Z. But I also think he means so that we won't abandon how we live in the kingdom of God, in the order of the kingdom of God. You know what I'm saying? Like, how we treat others is important. How we respect one another is important. If Paul stated, and I read this earlier, 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul stated that, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's a guarantee. Then let me ask this. When is the last time that you, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, felt persecuted? Maybe you felt misunderstood, and there's really nothing you could do that would help that person or that, that other party understand you better and here's the thing if you can't remember the last time then maybe the first question to examine in our hearts is this where do we find our belonging because earlier in the scripture he says if you belong to this world they would love you they would accept you do you find more belonging to the patterns of this world to its pursuits there's no pushback and trust me, you'll get the applause, and you'll get the acceptance, you'll be playing that game, or are you tethered to the kingdom of God, to its realities, that you serve others, that you humbly submit, that we repent, amen? And here's the thing, I'm not advocating that any of us should go seek out persecution. That's ridiculous, okay? I'm not going to go to North Korea, and for just some martyr syndrome, say I'm a Christian. Unless the Lord calls me there. But I'm not going to go seek out persecution. But as Peter says in 1 Peter 2, and I love this book, 1 Peter 2.11 says this, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. There's other translations that say as strangers, as aliens, as exiles living in this world. And here's the thing, temporary residents, exiles, strangers, aliens, whatever, whatever translation you have, they naturally think and act differently than the indigenous people of whatever world they're living in, whatever country they're living in. So I ask this question, which world do you belong to? Are you tethered to this world which has an expiration date? Or are you tethered to the kingdom and the reality of the reign and the rule of Christ Jesus? That's the first place we got to examine. If God's kingdom seeks loving him and others above all else, and the world's kingdom seeks our own fulfillment and satisfaction over everyone else, there will be a rub. Guaranteed. So, with that in mind, that's sobering. That's the warning phase. With that in mind, what should be our response as Christians? How do we respond? I don't know about you, but... But there's been times—be a Facebook post, be something someone said about Christians or about my faith—and I'm just kind of like, I don't really know what to say. So I just kind of like, <laughs> like I, I don't, don't know. And so I think we need to address this. How do we respond? I hit another nerve, overcook some grits here a minute. A Facebook. If a Facebook comes up, and I have seen Christians be so cruel to one another on Facebook or to the world on Facebook, if a Facebook post comes up and you feel mistreated or misunderstood in that, should the response be to just write out a poorly thought out comment or response or some theological attack because truth is truth and you need to know it? I'm just being honest. What should be our response? Now, that's just one. If that hits a nerve too, there's time to repent later of that. Amen. (laughs) But here's the deal, how we respond in those situations says a whole lot to the world about the God we serve. Jesus, once again, I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith, not just in belief, but how you live it. Now, here's our response, and I am going to, <laughs> I'm probably going to like way oversimplify this, and as I, was, as I was like preparing this week, I was thinking, man, Lord, just download something like really, really like deep, All right. Like truth, just deep. And I think the Lord just said, no, just simplify it. And I was like, Lord, they're going to question why I even have a mic today. But here's the deal. The way we respond is and always should be love. Not warm, fuzzy feelings towards someone. That's great. But an intentional intentional choice, an intentional action towards someone else. There's a, a a passage of scripture in Luke chapter 10, and it's found elsewhere in several of the other gospels. But the Pharisees come to Jesus, and they and they're trying to trip him. They're they're trying to trip him up. They're they're trying to like trap him, and and, and so they can call him out. Of course, Jesus never fell for it. But um, they they say, "Okay, okay, Rabbi, okay, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment?" And you could probably hear him snickering. <laughs> yeah. And he says, "Well, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength." And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Like, oh, he got it. Okay. So how can we further this thing? And the Pharisees are thinking, how can we trap him even further? And then they said, oh, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. Well, then who is our neighbor? Who's our neighbor, Jesus? And again, snickering. <laughs> He's not going to get this one. We're going to get him. Who is my neighbor? You see, here, here's the thing. That I think, th- this, this is a great story, and you can find more on it in Luke chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan. But the nugget of truth that we have for this morning from that story is this The Pharisees wanted to qualify who would be and who would not be considered their neighbor. And Jesus didn't come to play political or religious games. Church, Jesus did not come to play political or religious games. And just as Christ, he put the Pharisees in check, who were the religious leaders of the time, he may need to deal with some of our hearts in this room. I will raise my hand. I'm serious when I say that. I am preaching to myself this morning. It is somewhat easy sometimes to justify our negative, our critical and divisive comments to others, especially those who persecute us, because we feel we don't have to classify them as our neighbor. And you might be thinking, well, Ryan, you don't know what that person said about me. You do not know the kind of treatment that person has done to my family. You do not want to know what they've said about me on Facebook or elsewhere or to other friends behind my back. And I, to that, I say this, I do not know what they have said about you, and I'm sorry that they have said those things about you, but I do know what the Bible says about them. And the Bible says that they are your neighbor. In Luke chapter 16, verse 28, Jesus goes so far as to say this, Bless those who persecute you. To bless someone is an intentional choice and an intentional act. It has choice to it. You have that choice to bless, to love. And check this out. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus says this, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray. Another intentional act another verb, another choice on our part towards that party. So I'm getting this sense that Jesus is saying, hey, this category of neighbor might just be all-encompassing. Might be all-encompassing. Hear me on this as we begin, begin to wrap up. I've got a few more thoughts, but hear me on this. I'm not advocating that as Christians we become doormats for the world, Because I think that we can be a very thoughtful, loving, and strong presence, even from a place of supernatural humility and grace. I think that we can be the voice of truth, but from a place of love, seasoned with grace, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We can. You know, I've been a pastor for 15 years, I took kind of a hiatus for a couple years and I worked in the business world, and I jumped straight from basically college to the ministry world, to church world. And so I kinda had blinders on for a long time and you know people would come in and they'd be like, you know, Pastor, I feel like people are, are mistreating me at work and I'd be like, oh that's I'll pray for you and, you know, go well and, and, and yeah, just be love. And, and so I, I would kind of honestly skirt away the, the reality that it's tough. Right? And so like I got into the business world and for two years I kinda began to see what does the world view of Christians in the church sometimes? And I, I kind of got that veil torn back, and I was like, oh, oh, okay. And so it really kind of bummed me out, and it weighed heavy upon me. And so I began asking the Lord, why has the, why has the church lost its voice? Why has the church lost its influence in culture, in our world, in society, in America, and now, there's probably several reasons, and some of that's just a natural pushback. The patterns of the world do not like the things of God, and so there's a natural reaction to it, right? The advancement of the kingdom, there's going to be pushback from the world. But, but as I was reading this scripture this week from John 16, I came across these words, and I'm going to read them in a moment, but again, I think it boils down to this for me. In particular, and there might be some in this boat too. I've tried to take on the role of the Holy Spirit in the world, and I've forgotten the simple role that Christ gave me, to love him and to love others. John chapter 16, 8 through 9 says this, Jesus says this, and when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Jesus didn't say that the second greatest commandment was to correct and convict your neighbor at every cost. Jesus didn't say that the second greatest commandment was to be right and understood and heard by your neighbor. He said, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Who bears the responsibility of that? We do. Who's that verb imperative upon to love? We are. And here may be the hardest, the hardest thing, and I'm not taking away that it can be difficult, it can be frustrating, but it's, it's one of God's commands. One of the hardest parts is this. That love towards our neighbor is totally independent of how they receive it or whether they reject it or whether they love you in return. There is no portion in that portion of scripture that says, love your neighbor if they love you back. Love your enemy if they love you back. Pray for your enemy if they decide to eventually bless you down the road. It's just not. Love your neighbor. Our response as Christians, as Christ followers, people passionate about God's Word, people passionate about Jesus Christ, living and powered by the Holy Spirit is this. When we feel misrepresented, when we feel mischaracterized, when we feel misunderstood, our response is and always should be love. L- not love and love. Love from a place of service. Love. That you would serve one another. Love. Jesus again says, I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. We're gonna finish up this morning. And as we do, I wanna ask a couple questions. Maybe to begin stirring our hearts, and maybe you've been stirred. I pray that the Holy Spirit would stir your hearts. I I want nothing man made. I want nothing from Ryan Wallace that would stir your hearts. I really don't. That's temporary, that's not eternal. So really what the Holy Spirit has for you is what I desire most. And so in this moment, before I ask these questions, I want you to lean in. Not not lean into me. Lean into the Holy Spirit. And if you have to physically do it to remind yourself to lean in, that's okay too. Lean in and say, Holy Spirit, what is it from your word, what is it that you would have for me today? And then I ask these questions. What world do you feel you're belonging in? The patterns, the pursuits of this world? There's not going to be a lot of pushback. I will guarantee that. Or are you tethered to the kingdom and the reality and the rule and the reign of Christ Jesus? There will be pushback. You will find trouble. But you will be promised that he has overcome the world. You will be promised and are promised and that promise will always be accomplished that there will be peace. Which world do you belong to? And then second, is there any place in your life and in my life that that we need to repent of that maybe we've tried to be right, we've tried to be heard, we've tried to be understood over everything else? And we have lost the simple role that Christ gave the church to love others and to love him. Press into that. I want to invite the prayer team up on the the corners here of the sanctuary, if you would. I want to sit here just for a minute. I know we got like a minute or two. Press in. Don't leave this place without going to the Holy Spirit and saying, what is it that you got? What is it? Thanks for listening today. If you want to find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.